Trigger warning. Mentions of homicide and violence against women. I couldn't help but wonder, was Garkul really capable of consuming a living son? Or was I simply getting too close to Garkul? Was Garkul consuming me? Rick, can we listen to something else? Wait, she's just about to summon Garkul. She's been talking about summoning Garkul for three episodes, Summer. Wait a minute, what's that in your mouth? It's a toothpick. I'm a toothpicker now. Get used to it. God, are you that desperate for a thing? It is my thing. Just like yours is dying alone and yours is jerking off. At least jerking off tracks for my character, you know? I like to jerk off. I'm 14. I own it. Well, I jerk off too. Jesus Christ, right, I want to think about Summer, that. keep your toothpick. Gross. Morty, stop talking to your sister about jerking off. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. I was introduced on YouTube for the first time to uh, Power Drill Massacre, an intensely atmospheric game with a surprising amount of cinematics right there at the start. Uh, the game follows this uh, woman, Megan, uh, who survives a car crash, uh, only to then wander into the woods and get trapped in an abandoned building where she realizes that she's not alone. It's a pretty neat game and that was my definitive introduction to Puppet Combo, the studio that made the game. The entire reason Power Drill Massacre, the first game of its kind I, I set my eyes on, stood so far apart from other indie titles at the time was the very um, in-your-face um, 80s VHS uh, slasher film aesthetic that extended all the way from the digital cover for the game right down to uh, small details such, such as the, the audio cues you trigger upon doing certain things. Now, of course, all of it called back to this nostalgia that I did not exactly possess. Uh, I mean, I was obviously not around for the thick of the VHS era. I mean, let alone for the slasher films that became a thing in the West at the time. So, for getting a bit of a background on the whole thing, I decided to look at some of these films and it turns out that these films are not entirely obscure and some of them are even pretty well known to me. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Jason X, 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the House of Wax, uh, and the whole you know the whole Chucky films, and so on. So uh, I mean, while I was pretty familiar with the tropes and the surprisingly elaborate history associated with slasher films in general, uh, the nostalgia was still uh, sort of half baked, because largely because I was not able to completely visualize the bygone uh, VHS aesthetic, as it had more to do with the imperfections of the physical format than with the films themselves. Uh, I mean, I did try getting my hands on an actual VHS tape, but uh, that didn't happen. So yeah, essentially, my discovering of Puppet Combo and their games is some sort of a, a historical second-hand rediscovery of the, the VHS era, uh, a hollow, very misplaced nostalgia that is well acquainted with my generation and with postmodern cultural production, as Cuck Philosophy notes. While in the past, the emergence of new technologies enabled the emergence of new cultural forms, today, new technologies are subordinated to the repetition and refurbishment of old, already established cultural forms. In the 80s, the theorist Frederick Jameson critiqued the postmodern cultural condition, predicting that it would be increasingly characterized by revivalism and pastiche. Today, this is more true than it was then, and currently is seen most clearly in 80s revivalism. Because of our condition, we have unlearned the creation of the future. It often seems that we are no longer capable of creating something that seems futuristic, of imagining or anticipating something otherworldly. The future has been cancelled. Puppet Combo's website reads, Puppet Combo is the home of sleaze, gore, madmen, slashers, and maniacs. Puppet Combo killers will turn your dreams into nightmares long after the VHS tape finishes playing. So grab a beer, dim the lights, take a seat and enter the dark universe of Public Combo. Furthermore, the FAQ section of the page elaborates that uh, Puppet Combo is, quote, a game studio inspired by the 80s VHS era horror, slasher movies, and retro low-poly survival horror games, end of quote. On the 24th of April uh, last month, under very distasteful quarantine conditions, I, I found myself in quite the spot. Waking up that particular day, um, everything seemed uh, dimmer and it did not feel quite right to get out of bed. I mean, it usually does not, but you know, the feeling was more intense. Uh, I spent long hours on my bed, motionless contemplating on the, the phone call presentation I was expected to give a bit later the same day. Uh, an appointment had been finally fixed after numerous reschedulings. I mean, if you know anything about reschedulings, it is that they're annoying. They're really fucking annoying. Uh, so the fact by itself could have been a causal factor for all the fucking nausea I was feeling that day. I was definitely about to throw up. But, you know, throwing up is not exactly fun unless uh, I'm really drunk or just really high. So <laughs> I decided to not think about throwing up and uh, wait out the couple of hours that remained uh, before my presentation. Uh, so I, I, I ended up watching some YouTube uh, in the meantime. And that is when I came upon this one Let's Play from a YouTuber named uh, John Wolf. 
featuring this game called uh, Night Ripper. Now, Puppet Combos, the, the, the studio's aesthetical choices are unique and very recognizable, but are also very consistent throughout the roster of their games. Okay, they've released a bunch of games at this point, uh, which makes the games too homogenous and also uh, the choices somewhat repetitive. Uh, it did not take me too long to figure out Night Ripper was, you know, a puppet combo title. I quickly went through the official page uh, for the game in hopes of buying it, but uh, as it turned out, Night Ripper is, is a Patreon exclusive, which roughly translates to being available in return to pledging monetary support to the creator. I mean, I completely support the practice and the platform. I, I myself will have to maybe um, someday take refuge in these areas of support. But since I am yet to have that kind of wealth on me, I just decided to just you know go ahead and watch the let's play. Uh, as a side note, there is a heavily cinematic element to watching let's plays, even with the commentary. Uh, I have been acquainted with the practice for quite some time now. Uh, the essentiality and the implications of watching Let's Plays and Let's Plays just um, existing as these objects uh, is something that I will have to uh, elaborate on another episode, I guess. But yeah, I, I digress. Uh, I do not exactly remember all the details from that day, but <laughs> I did throw up eventually. I did watch the entire Let's Play on Night Ripper. And my appointment uh, did get rescheduled again. Nonetheless, uh, the game left a pretty deep impression on me in regards to its historical context, uh, the design choices and the, the gameplay mechanics. Uh, so these things form uh, the crux of this uh, really short episode. Okay, uh, so the game opens up to this little conversation between two people inside some sort of a diner, uh, then cuts to a third-person perspective of the protagonist, Rachel, who apparently works at this diner and is about to leave at the end of her shift, which has seemingly ended late at night. And uh, the other character, Tim, most likely the owner, uh, warns Rachel about walking home alone at such a late hour because uh, the West Side Ripper is out and he had already claimed five girls the previous week. Uh, but Rachel brushes this warning aside and uh, ventures out into the night. So once she's out, the player is immediately greeted with a rather grim atmosphere, whole blocks of abandoned buildings, textures of trash, uh, filth and uh, grime invade the sidelines. Uh, the streets are threateningly unpopulated except for Rachel. It's, it's almost pitch black save for the neon tinted windows and the sky is this, this uh, menacing and an hypnotic gradient of purple. Uh, the construction is obviously meant to evoke uh, loneliness and dread, but to others, this setting might be very familiar and very similar to something they have witnessed before. It was like the moon now, nothing but minerals. Buildings had collapsed, their wood had been consumed and their stones had crashed down. Some walls still stood, but windows and roofs were gone, and there was nothing inside but ashes and dollops of melted glass. 
That is Kurt Vonnegut's description of Dresden after its destruction by American bombers in February 1945. But this is the South Bronx, February 1981, destroyed by other Americans. Uh, the tumultuous, violent and vibrant history of the Bronx is very well known, uh, especially the urban decay South Bronx went through in the 70s to the 80s and, and uh, <laughs> Reagan's controversial visit and his uh, declaration that he had not, uh, quote, seen anything that looked like this since London after the Blitz, uh, end of quote. Uh, the lifestyle and the culture of the largely working class black and Puerto Rican demographic inhabiting the area back then fell under the intense scrutiny of uh, media outlets in America at the time, which uh, unsurprisingly propagated this, ended up propagating this image of the place being some sort of a nightmare zone. Uh, I mean, to be fair, that is a claim that neither can be completely discounted or, or uh, completely sided with. Uh, the locality saw widespread gang violence fueled by poverty but also witnessed the birth of hip-hop and, and developed a strong sense of community over the years that exists to this day and and so the comparisons run you know uh, also the 1980s were, was not a very good time for new york as a whole there was a, uh, the, the whole state saw a sharp rise in the homicide numbers Good evening. We're coming off the bloodiest year in the history of New York, 1,784 homicides. And we're starting off the new year with at least 10 murders in the city today. Tonight, Brooklyn police are looking for a man who may have stabbed his mother and her girlfriend to death. The bodies of the two women were found in a home on Pacific Street. Police say both bodies had multiple stab wounds. Jane Wallace has more on the record murder rate of 1980. Night Ripper essentially calls back to this New York and this very specific burning and decrepit setting of the South of that South Bronx. Uh, but the game, in addition to the historical context, is, is blatantly inspired by something else too. A notoriously sleazy slasher film from uh, 1982, uh, New York Ripper, directed by Lucio Fulci, also known as the, the uh, godfather of gore. Particularly passionate review of the film on uh, IMDb by username Makiste underscore brother reads You can never say New York Ripper is bad, boring, stupid, crap, worthless, mean spirited, vile, etc. Whatever you can't say about New York Ripper though, you can't say it's not sleazy. It's over the top sleazy and misogynistic. It never shies away from it. Personally speaking, it's sleaze par excellence. The misogynistic aspect bothers me. The 90% of horror films out there are misogynistic, so it's not like I'm not used to it. As for the sleaze aspect, well, if you don't like sleaze, don't watch it. If you're fascinated by sleaze, like me, then this is like the Citizen Kane of sleaze. 
what makes this so different than the majority of truly worthless sleaze out there is the Fulci is honest about the sleaze. Compare this to, let's say, the recent murder set pieces, which is very sleazy, but almost totally worthless. It's so self-conscious about the fact that it's horrific and sleazy, it just doesn't work. It's not real sleaze. New York Ripper is real 42nd Avenue sleaze. Okay, uh, the sleaze factor is, is a peculiar phenomenon in cinema, and uh, sleazy films are themselves objects testament to the fact. Uh, there's a certain kind of fascination attached to these films, a kind of uh, self-awareness uh, that does not entirely indulge in the film, but you know does so in a very uh, cautious and, and reflective manner. Uh, sleaze films are exciting in their in their complete lack of manners. <laughs> Uh, but are often upsetting in a more poignant way. For example, uh, the, the misogyny. Uh, the experience is something to behold, uh, where you feel constantly visible to yourself as an objective person watching this sleazy bullshit. <laughs> and, and yeah, I have not really watched too many of these films myself, but uh, I can understand that this feeling is what drove the genre, if I can really call it that, for, for quite a long time. The IMDb summarizes the storyline of New York Ripper as follows, uh, quote, Killer who talks like a duck wanders uh, around New York City, killing women by various means, including slicing an eyeball with a razor blade. Detective Jack Heedley is hot on his trail, end of quote. And uh, <laughs> Night Ripper is a huge chunk of the same storyline, except there is no detective and you play the final girl which is uh, this weird trope relating to slasher films, referring to the last girl or woman alive in this story who confronts the killer in the final act and who ultimately lives to tell the tale. So this trope is surprisingly consistent with the slasher films and so many popular films have used it over the years. Uh, uh, a spoiler alert, the, the Night Ripper or the West Side Ripper from the game is an actual duck-masked person. I mean, this person actually wears a duck mask. Uh, uh, he's clothed in this uh, long black trench coat, uh, complete with a black hat and all that. And he drives around in this black sedan, murdering sex workers through the night. Night Ripper is obviously a slasher horror game and puppet combos, confrontational mechanics, that is, uh, whatever happens when you actually encounter the killer, has been quite consistent. The objective immediately becomes uh, to escape the killer, while the game makes it harder for you to do that by inducing stress and, and panic using a variety of uh, visual and auditory cues. The, the panic meter in Night Ripper and the extremely loud, annoying and, and distracting Power drill sounds from Power Drill Massacre are examples of this. Uh, so there is actually a way in in uh, Night Ripper to attack the killer to retaliate outside the narrative setup. You can pick up a gun uh, in the course of the game, but the only real way to use it is when the Night Ripper is pursuing you. 
and shooting at him would you know sort of get him off your back for some time but you know the objective remains transfixed on evasion and that by itself uh, builds a solid atmosphere around the gameplay i mean this is nothing new uh, so many other games have done it but you know this is simply an observation uh, relating to the game and uh, this is how i will be conducting this episode so uh, we have Rachel on her way home late at night and very much alone uh, when she's diverted from her usual path by the police blocking the area off due to another murder. Uh, this is how the player is pushed into exploring the various settings of the game and occasionally Rachel comes upon flyers and torn newspapers lying on the ground. Uh, these objects are part of a very old and generic method of building context and atmosphere. One of these clippings reads, Pandemonium spreads as the bodies of several six workers are found. Bedford. Some local men have made a shocking discovery, causing panic to spread throughout the city. A young woman has turned up dead, the body dumped in a back alley. Upon discovery, the men immediately called the police. A source has identified the body as a local six worker whose name has not yet leaked to the public. Police cordoned off the area searching for more remains. <laughs> One woman who survived an attack on Tuesday claimed to not have seen the assailant's face, but told the police he drove a black sedan. It has also been revealed that the six workers were murdered with a switchblade. As the week continues, many are hiding in fright as all are tended to see if the killing continues. The game features six locations through which the narrative proceeds linearly. Uh, the streets, uh, back streets, uh, the crack den, uh, rooftops, subway, and slums. Uh, some of them are not too different from the others, but these transitions sort of serve to provide some sense of progression and again, atmosphere. Uh, the, the crack den in particular uh, leans towards the latter more with its uh, claustrophobic hallways, which is another recurring theme in Puppet Combo's work. An example would be the uh, infamous sugar tunnels from uh, Power Drill Massacre. The, the interior of the Cragden scenery has very bright lights, narrow passageways, columns that don't make any sense, and despite how actually tiny the whole place is, uh, the construction allows for it to feel like a proper maze. And uh, given how smooth the movement and controls are, navigating this type of an interior does not feel like too much of a tedious task and uh, even can be effectively used to lose the Night Ripper who spawns somewhere inside once you make it to the crack den. Uh, this is pretty interesting. Uh, in, this, in this current context of the hunter versus the hunted, claustrophobic settings are often dismissed as uh, mere aesthetical devices or, or cheap pressure building gimmicks. Uh, but that is not the case at all. When you think about it, this sort of a setting, when cleverly constructed, could be a double-edged sword playing for both sides. You know, technically, the stress of navigating the cracked in is higher than, say, moving through an open area. But there are lesser chances of evasion, of evading the night tripper in an open area than within the cracked in, with all of its, uh, you know, twists, turns, and loops. Uh, a classical example of such a clever construction can be seen in H.P. Lovecraft's infamous short story, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, the heart-pounding sequence that uh, unfolds in the Gilman house with its connecting doors and rattling doorknobs is unforgettable and more importantly, the, the advantage is, is well-balanced and distributed throughout the sequence. Uh, 
uh, I'm not I'm not obviously going to read out the whole chapter and uh, Lovecraft is yeah very problematic but I suggest you check it out uh, it's a it is a pretty good short story intention is not to follow the entire narrative arc of the game. Uh, I don't think there ever was any particular intention behind this episode other than some sort of a, a fascination with the game and I really wanted to see where this was going to take me and if I could even pull off this this uh, organized uh, script based reading uh, backed by very mild research. Above all uh, I think I just wanted to have fun I guess. Um, I left out a whole lot of other minute details about the game. Uh, like the asshole fundamentalist radio person, uh, Jack the Ripper, the actual inspiration behind the slasher film, uh, the somewhat interesting post-credit scene, uh, if I can even call it that, uh, subverting the final girl trope, etc. But I felt these things to be beside the point. Puppet Combo is a very interesting game studio. Uh, and I have to mention, almost all of the work is done by one guy named Ben, who gets some help uh, from a variety of artists and musicians as he progresses through the making. So uh, props to him. Uh, I had a lot of fun making this and uh, <laughs> thanks to Tim for reading all the quotes for me. <laughs> I could never be as dramatic as uh, And also I think I learned a whole bunch of shit while making this, so that counts too. Uh, and uh, I shall see you in the next one. Pour me another glass, Baldo, baby, chillin' with a glass of wine, chillin' on it, baby, pour it in the cup, drink it up another one. I'm in wine country, who gives a fuck, baby, bring a bottle, bring another, take the label off. 